This is the word that was just preached. Excuse me, just read and I hope it preached. Thank you. Please be seated. I know you've heard this term scapegoat. It has to do with a kind of a safety valve when things go really wrong. Some kind of head must roll. Uh, otherwise, uh, something may go wrong again. It's built into our nature. We're adverse to failure. Well, there's shame in it, but there's also danger in it. Growing up uh, as an exiled Cuban-American, I, every once in a while I hear about what went wrong in the Bay of Pigs. There's various uh, approaches to that, to that historical narrative. One thing that is always expected at the end of, of a narrative of the Bay of Pigs, what went wrong, and by the way, it was a glorious failure. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, an amazing failure lousy, but valiant, uh, more than a skirmish strategy. Uh, but there has to be a scapegoat. Uh, I, I, I mean, was there an informant? Was there a mole? Was uh, my, own father's, uh, my own father's guess was, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy, uh, he blew it at the last or something. There must have been some CIA. Uh, somebody must have done something wrong. Scapegoat. Well, that, that war was important to Cubans and uh, the counterinsurgency against Castro. But, you know, my friends, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, when things fail in such a grand scale as Israel has failed here in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, you know, not, not only must there be a scapegoat, <laughs> but God made provision for a scapegoat. Do you realize that? There was provision in the law, the ceremonial law, for the sins, not only for the people, those were the typical sins of bulls and goats and all that, but, but for when the leaders, and especially the high priest, blundered in ignorance, there was provision in the law to cover that sin. And that was the teaching of the scapegoat. The scapegoat would be, as it were, blamed for the whole sin of the high priest representing the whole of the nation. In other words, just when you, when you think of the high priest, don't think of him. It's nothing personal. It's nothing, it's nothing personal. It, it is his office. When the, highest, when the highest officer of the priesthood of Israel sins, and ignorance, well, that has huge repercussions. And when the high priest of Israel, representing the nation, the God's people, crucifies, condemns unjustly, ignorantly, the, the Son of God, the meek, loving, wonder-working, truth-speaking child of Jehovah God, then what do we have here but the biggest catastrophe? And someone has got to be blamed. And the one who has been blamed is not the high priest. The law made provision for a scapegoat. 
Jesus even takes upon that burden, the shame, the guilt of the scapegoat. He will bear the sins of the leader, the leaders, the highest. Because God is all merciful to all who will receive that reconciliation in truth. And that's what we had before us here. A phenomenal failure of the Jewish people, the covenanted people of God in that day, but especially in the leaders, the leaders. And then, of course, the magnanimous, the magnanimous covering of that debt by Jesus. The teaching here is this, that Jesus willingly suffered for the sins of all his people, but particularly here, the cruelty of blind religious leaders who could not yet see the glory of the true Messiah, particularly in this passage, the leaders. Jesus is Israel's true scapegoat, suffering vicariously for the sins of his whole nation. Of course, that's represented in the priests, isn't it? Scribes, Pharisees, priests. We'll see that teaching upheld uh, in three points. First point, religious leaders. They're appointed by God. They're vested with the authority of the priesthood here. Scribes, elders are appointed with the government of the synagogues and the church. Religious leaders are not exempted from spiritual blindness. I'm not talking about myopia. I'm not talking about uh, dystopia. I'm talking about blindness. The fact of the matter is, if you read the church history, even since the, the days of the apostle, you'll see plenty, plenty of blindness at high places. Even as the covenanted people of God, the people, and even their religious leaders, can be so blind to the light of God's presence, Jesus, the incarnate word of God. Many ordinary folks did believe in Jesus as Messiah. I, I, I don't know if most of the nation did. Probably not. Probably, I mean, if they did not go forward into the baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, they did not. But many ordinary folks believe that most of the religious leaders, most of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes and elders, they did not believe Jesus. Now, the high priest, Caiaphas, uh, really was the leader most responsible for Jesus' execution. As some commentaries would have us see, see that the high priest was uh, the guardian of the temple. And we see here Jesus already making some claims about, well, this temple is going to be going down, and in three days, you know, it would be rebuilt. Well, the guardian of the temple is not going to allow that kind of thing to happen. It's almost like telling the United Nations, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to visit you. We're going to have five small planes. We're going to crash into your building on, on Wednesday night. I know you're having a Congress there. But, you know, but by Saturday, we'll rebuild it. You're going to get arrested as a madman if you speak that way. Because there are guardians of the General Assembly of the United Nations. And he was the leader most responsible and because he is to guard the things of the temple. The high, the high priest was Aaron's successor. 
uh, there's a caveat here, not really. Uh, by around the, around the second century BC, the high priesthood was sold. It was sold to the highest bidder. And it was not a, a spiritual descendant of Aaron at all, uh, but a person who uh, was, had uh, some other interests, probably political interests, uh, as uh, for uh, Judah and Israel as a vassal state under the Greek Empire at that time, or, or the Romans later. The, uh, the high priest was to be Aaron's successor, and as such, Aaron was to be holy. He's, he was to be consecrated. He was to be an example of piety. Now, all Christians are a royal priesthood, and we are to be that. We are to be consecrated, set apart. That's what baptism does to us. We, are, we have the Lord's name placed on us. We, we're, made a, we're distinct from the world. And so we are to be walking with, with God in a, holy, in a holy way, seeking holiness and peace with God, without which no one will see the Lord. And we're to be an example of piety. That is to say, a steady attendance on the ordinances of God, prayer, prayer for one another. Uh, Here, uh, an attendance of the worship services. We are to be exemplary in piety because we are priests. And the high priest and, and people who bear office should be all the more so. He, he has the, the, the more uh, robust duty to be an example. Now, in, in, doing, in, in what happens here in Scripture, of course, Jesus knows that the Scripture must be fulfilled. He will be betrayed, strike the shepherd, the sheep will be all scattered. Uh, all of these things uh, are, are set. They were prophesied again. We uh, mentioned this, uh, Zechariah 13, verse 7. None of this can be broken. It doesn't matter that these, uh, these priests and the actors, it doesn't say, it doesn't mean that they are innocent. No, what is determined is determined, but woe to the man through whom these things come. What uh, would be otherwise, and of itself, by its formal function, an office of distinction, an office uh, of much respect, becomes an office thoroughly derelict, thoroughly culpable, and most condemnable, condemnable and contemptible by its perversity in, in, in casting out the complete law of God, the complete word of God, and all the light that is in Jesus. But this is in fulfillment of the scripture. And this is, of course, a fulfillment of that type and that sacrifice called the scapegoat, because the goat was to be presented to the high priest. You can read about it there in Leviticus 4, verse 22. Uh, now let's turn to Leviticus, Leviticus 4. We, we, can, we can take time to do that. We got some, yeah, we got the rest of the day here, don't we, guys? Yeah. Leviticus 4, 22 through 24. If he brings the lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, kill it for a sin offering in the place where they laid the burnt. And then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar and burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood. Well, that's 34 I'm reading. 22. When a leader sins, that's it, that's it. By the way, this is addressed in the reading of, 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 from, from the grace, uh, from, from, the, from the gospel this morning, from Acts chapter 3. Verse 17, uh, Elder Thomas read it, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance 
as did your rulers. That, that is, that is the, the text from which springs our understanding of Matthew 26, our preaching for today. But when a leader sings, uh, sins, says Leviticus 4, verse 22, when a leader sins, doing unintentionally, which is what Peter's preaching there at Pentecost, unintentionally any one of all things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they killed the burned offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. And then he takes some of the blood, lays it on the altar, etc. Anyway, the, those are the, the, uh, the, the scapegoat is a special kind of offering in the Old Testament. It was to, it was to be the covering of uh, sins that were committed because of ignorance. Now, committed, a sins committed with a high hand against God never found a pardon. They're guilty of an unpardonable sin in the Old Testament. I won't preach that. But I will say this, that there is a provision for ignorance in leaders. Okay? And Jesus is that provision. The imputed sin of the leaders goes on the scapegoat at the hand of the high priest. And this is what is done here. The law made provision for the sin of the leaders. Leviticus 4, verses 22 through 24. Uh, and, and, and this is to say the covenant of the people of God can miss. That is to say they, they, they can sin, and they can sin marvelously. This is the, one of the chief examples anywhere in the Scriptures. Religious leaders are not exempted from, from, uh, from the spiritual blindness, and religious leaders who pervert justice do so. But you know what? There always remains the light of conscience, and there always remains enough of the seed of God in the covenant of people so that it can't be done in broad daylight. It cannot be done in the court in the daylight. It has to be done surreptitiously in a corner. It has to be done in private. It has to be done by gossip and slander at three in the morning, four in the morning. Religious leaders who pervert justice do so privately and in a corner. And this is exactly what the high priests and the chief priests and scribes and the elders are doing. What a wonder. Israel was to be a light into the world. And here they are as cockroaches in the corner in a dark room. These people, as with cockroaches, hate the light. They've met at night after the passion, after, excuse me, after the supper. Lest the people, the common people who have more sense and they can examine what really is going on lest the people should rise and revolt and cause provocation. And they don't want that. Because Rome will not put up with any kind of, of weak government. Hey, so cowardly they're meeting at night. Can you imagine how cowardly they are to face the sword? Religious leaders who pervert justice do so by short-circuiting due process and procedure. And this is exactly what's going on. This is a kangaroo court. This is a kangaroo court. By receiving and thus encouraging slander, blasphemy, and false testimony. Now, I have to say, I'm rather proud of Caiaphas standing his ground and making a distinction between those that can't, the, the evidence doesn't collaborate. He was, he, was, he was doing a very fine job until he heard the most incredible thing come out of Jesus' mouth. 
which he clearly said, look, you've identified me as you say, and to prove it, you yourself will see me coming on the clouds, riding in glory. That is, my friends, absolutely the coming of the Lord in glory, namely that he is Messiah. Cephas identified Jesus as the man, and, and so Jesus did too. Many accusers came, but Caiaphas held his ground. The accusations could not be proven. They, shouldn't, they, were, not, they, they were not taken up. The false testimony of, of two witnesses really can prove deadly. False testimony. Now, to be false testimony, uh, you, you can almost be quoting somebody verbatim and still use the context, lose the context, and you twist its meaning. If Jesus is one who spoke in parables and you are interpreting that as literal, you can imagine, you can imagine that the twist is going to be enough to endanger Jesus, even though he only spoke truth. Context is missing. Parables are not to be handled in the, in the same fashion as literal proclamations. This temple is going down in three days. I will rebuild it. My friends, that's, that's not Bob the Builder and his project. That's a spiritual paradigm in a, in a parable. But false witnesses will not give the whole context because they don't understand the whole context, and yet that is what is missing. Now, I'll just make a point of application. Some of my outline I said, most, the reason most of you people are not capable of making a fine distinction in difficult church cases is because you don't have all the information. And even if you had all the information, you would only be appointed as a judge in, your, in, in the church by the Lord if you were vested with the offer of presbyter. We're Presbyterian here. This is not a congregational church. People can't go around you know, forensically scooping up data and evidence and, and decide, well, yeah, it looks like, oh, yeah, it's awful. But they do. The false testimony of two witnesses. False because imperfect. Not wholly untrue. There's some truth in it, but there's enough truth to really hurt the Lord Jesus. They rest the meaning of the Jesus words, and they paint Jesus' ministry in the blackest of colors. This is where the impartiality of Jesus' enemies and detractors really shows forth. Why paint any prophet in the blackest color? Surely he's done some good in his ministry. Surely, surely there's been some good done. As John says, if, if all were written of, of the ministry of Jesus, I, I, he doesn't suppose all the books in the world would contain all of his good works. How can you miss, except that you're blind, dead in sins and trespasses? That's how people miss. My friends, the, the religious leaders, especially the high priests, they were entrusted with, to be faithful stewards of the mystery of the faith. Their character must be exemplar, above reproach. But even so, they fail. And when they fail, they must come to their senses and, and confess and repent and show humility and zeal and repentance and show that the resurrection life is of Christ is in them by new obedience. Those who had failed to minister before begin ministering. Those who have failed to correct and they begin to correcting. 
Those who have failed to pray for their flock with zeal now pray more and more. They attend every prayer meeting. But covert scheming and ignoring, especially ignoring God's prophets as John the Baptist. By the way, it's, it's difficult, my friend, uh, to, be, to hold a prophetic office. Prophets are primarily there, yes, to guide the people into the will of God, but they were a check against the power of the king. Prophets were king checkers. And it's dangerous business. Very few kings listen to prophets. Herod certainly didn't listen to John. Well, he listened to him with some amusement and entertainment. But as far as the principle of repentance, he did not listen. And his head was the price of John the Baptist's fidelity. Happens all the time. And that's why John said, every mountain and hill will be made low. Woe to the rich who attend the services of God and leave empty. But the poor, he's, a, he's filled with his abundant goods. Our problem is that we are not poor enough to receive of Christ. That's our problem. Before the majestic, we think we have something that he needs. And we're wrong. We need to repent. There are ways to handle our ignorance as leaders. Every leader has his weaknesses. Every leader has his blemishes. To confess otherwise would be the monstrous, monstrous arrogance of the, of the Roman Catholic Church that says when the Pope speaks ex cathedra from the seat of Rome, he makes no blemish. I wonder if some of our Pentecostal friends are in the same seat because they think, because they have the, the gift of the Spirit, when they open their mouths, they preach pure truth. And nobody can convince them of any otherwise because they have some heat in their, their bosom or something, like the Mormons. They've got some heat in their chest or something. They know it's true. Sin must be dealt with, and there are ways to do it, orderly. There's a timely basis to address these issues. And if you don't, then you hold your peace. You don't gossip. But the leaders are not exempt from their weaknesses. The law made provision. I wonder if most Christians make provision for weaknesses, for blemishes in their leaders. Now, my friends, this is Christ being persecuted in the house of his brothers by those that are most privileged in his house, shunning him, being rude to him, spitting in his face. Do we do not do the same when we have visitors here and we ignore them? Yeah, for years, we ignore them. We don't know the names of their children. And we turn our back on the poor. They just don't smell right. Religious leaders are not exempted, and neither is the congregation. From spiritual blindness, when we don't see Jesus in here visiting us in the form of a believer whom we don't know, we need repentance. We need to, we need to rend our hearts and not our garments. The second point is that Jesus confessed to be a Messiah before the church of his day. The Jews since then 
have no excuse of uncertainty. Oh, they, they tried Jesus, but the outcome of that trial is right here. And anybody with common sense, namely the, the plain folk, if it had been done in broad daylight, would have seen that this is a, a mockery of justice. All you have to do is read it. Because in the light of, of the Holy Spirit, this is broad daylight now, and now the religious leaders are, ex are, are exposed. The Jews have no excuse for their un unbelief in Jesus. The testimony of Scripture here is clear. The law made provision for the weakness of the high priest. This is clearly the scapegoat. This is your only out. Unless you want the blood guilt of this to be on you and in your children forever. And that's what they wanted. And is it any wonder that they of all people have wandered, suffered, and continue to seek a homeland and peace in the world? Caiaphas the high priest certainly did not misunderstand Jesus, however. Caiaphas the high priest understood Jesus' meaning that he was verily the Son of God. He considered this plain evidence of blasphemy. He did this in front of many witnesses. The, the, this is solid, this is solid, presentable evidence. The high priest thought that Jesus blasphemed on the assumption, not on the evidence, not on the proof, on the assumption that Jesus was not the Son of God. But if he was speaking the truth that he was the Son of God, then that was certainly not blasphemy. That was the gospel. And so the high priest blundered on the presupposition and not on the evidence. And we do the same. If we start off our thinking on the, on the wrong footing, no amount of logic will save us to a salvageable, a salvageable conclusion. The high priest allowed the mocking of the true high priest uh, this is, uh, and here we here begin a, a section of a tremendous irony. We see a lot of irony come into play. Irony was one of the things that the Jews most admired about Scripture. This is the way they, they memorized a great deal of narrative because it was so ironic. It's irony, as does ferrous oxide, sticks in your craw. It gets under your skin. It has a, a toxic effect, almost like a... It irritates. How could this possibly work? How is this done? The high priest is the one who allows the mocking of the true high priest. Whereas indeed, he was the mockery of a high priest in failing to see the glorious Son of God and making him the scapegoat. My friends, those who relish mere shadows and ceremony above essence and reality in Christ, will commit the same blunder. A lot of Christianity and church history has dealt with forms and not substance. Shadows and not reality. Instead of pre preaching Christ in his true light, we light candles. Instead of vesting the saints with righteousness and holiness, we wear robes. This one is purple. It's for the Lent season. What season? We don't keep a church calendar. We're tied to the moon and to Jews and to the Jewish nation here. 
We're not, we're not celebrating for the 14th of Nisan when we, when we celebrate Easter. We've shackled the church to ceremony because ceremony is fleshly. And there is, you see the zeal of these unconverted men to keep the shadowy, to keep the ceremonial, to keep the things that would point to, to Jesus and love all those pointers. The flesh can delight in all that, but never follow the point to the pointy or to the pointed. They fail Christ. Those who relish shadows, types, figures, insist on encumbering the church today. And these are beggarly elements. Oh, no, we don't insist on circumcision. Oh, no, 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 we would never do that. But we might insist on having some harpsist here. We might. We, you know, we hopscotch over circumcision. Yeah, but we'll, 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 we'll allow temple service in here, that's for sure. Surprised somebody hasn't burnt, uh, burnt, burnt, in a, burnt ca- a burnt offering, you know. Beggarly elements that miss the glory and enjoyment of the true spiritual antitype, which is Christ. Christ is all in all. If Christ is preaching all of his excellencies and his righteousness and his majesty, as king of kings and lord of lords, a servant of all, and even in, in terms of his being the, the lamb of God and the scapegoat for the remission of the sins of, of, the, of the high religious orders committed in ignorance, that is how we understand Christ and his glory and his love for us. And the champion of our faith who did not fail in his mission despite all of our failures as a church. And if we had our eyes on Jesus, the, the, the author and finisher of our faith, we would bear with our sins a little better. And champion Jesus' cause to save sinners and not to judge them in our own mocking kangaroo way. The high priest, who was probably unconverted, did not consider the evidence afforded at the time. What is the evidence? Jesus' character, Jesus' knowledge of the scriptures, his wisdom, how he sees the whole, the whole picture. He can see the whole picture of what is presented as the will of God. Far, far beyond their puny knowledge of Scripture. He is the prophet that Moses would distinguish above all prophets whom we must listen to, lest we perish. One of our own brothers whom God will raise up. To him you must give heed. And that before many witnesses. The high priest did not consider his character, his knowledge, his wisdom, the power he demonstrated over all creation, Jesus' works of mercy to widows, to the lame, to the poor, his healings before many witnesses. How could this man be so blind? But Jesus confessing to the Messiah, he was only saying what was the natural, the only natural conclusion that a fair-minded man would conclude considering his person and his work. Jesus declared and prophesied then two things. He professed two things here before uh, Caiaphas. He said that he's Messiah. That's what he said. And that is incontestable, especially in his reference to Daniel 7, that he would return in glory, that this would not be the last of him. 
that which must have been, uh, well, of course, Caiaphas didn't believe it, but if you think about that, you know, you've, all, you've all seen those monster movies, right? When you, you, you cut off the head of the Medusa, and up come two heads, and then you cut off the, and they, oh, four, that's how you learn ge geometric expansion, I guess, by linear expansion. I, the more you wrestle with this guy, he's, he's coming back, he's coming at you. And he comes back at you more glorious and stronger than ever. That's Jesus. He's coming back. And this time, he's vested with authority over the nations. And right before your eyes, Caiaphas, Psalm 2 is being fulfilled. Wow. In plain sight, he returns in glory, not in a hidden corner of Jerusalem at 3 or 4 in the morning, but with blazing light, with fiery angels with sword in fulfillment of Daniel's messianic prophecy of the very end. Daniel 7, verse 13. The final point of this sermon is that Jesus endured suffering at the hands of impious leaders and false witnesses. What happens here, my friends, is not accidental. Oh, no, what a, what a, what a, terrible, what a terrible finish to a, a wonderful career. What, what, this is so sad. Jesus tried to be a savior. He tried to reform. Ah! No. No, no, no. None of this was done by accident. It was not done in, in, in weakness as far as weakness of resolve or, or, or compromise on the part of Jesus or God. This is, this is the nation's planned rebellion. And this is, this is Messiah's planned Willing, willingness to follow the plan of God. It's the plans of the wicked are firm and no accident. The plans of God in presenting lamb and, and scapegoat are no accident. You can read that. And it's a fulfillment of John 2 and all the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Jesus endured suffering at the hands of the impious leaders and false witnesses. He endures. He forbears. Jesus is demonstrating one of the chief the chief characteristics of God, and indeed of every of every godly of every godly man, and that is perseverance, forbearance. Not that God, not that God is excusing the sins of Israel all these years, but He is, as it were, if God could suffer, the Father doesn't suffer. God the Father does not suffer. He is the most blessed ever God. He's always infinitely happy, if you can even give Him that attribute. He's blessed. But he is forbearing. God is most forbearing with the nations, so much so that people get confused and they think that God is actually overlooking their sins. He's not. We have to say with the gospel going forth that people must repent, that God will judge every man according to his works. And if they, if they, don't, if they don't turn to him from their sin and receive the Spirit and receive the, the gift of salvation, which is free, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the, as the Savior of sinners, the, the Lamb whose blood pays the debt of your sin, of the sin of every sin. He's the scapegoat that, that pays the debt of the ignorance, the, the stupid, stupid rebellion of otherwise principled and very well-educated religious leaders. If you don't do that, 
then you will be condemned. But if you do believe, you'll be saved. Jesus is displaying a magnificent attribute and work of God, his forbearance. And that's what we do in the church when we see our brothers and sisters who don't quite have it right. We wait until we all come to the statue of a full man, until the measure of a full man in Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith. There is no church that's going to get it all right. There's no churches that without blemish. And so if we are godly, we're going to forbear. We're not going to publish volumes about how spotted that virgin, that bride of Christ is. We're going to wait patiently, as Jesus did. But the tools of the devil are otherwise. The tools of the devil always in Scripture are two things, falsehood and ridicule. And both involve the tongue. That's why we have the, one of the largest treatments in our larger catechism, the footnotes on the ninth commandment, not to bear false witness. Wow. It ran into, starting with uh, the letter A, I think, I think it went to, in my outline, double L or double M. That's a long outline. 30 examples of scripture about how we can bear false testimony. The tools of the devil are falsehood and ridicule. Jesus said, you are of the devil, you are from below. You do the works of the devil. And, 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 that, and so that's what happened with Jesus' ministry. The tools of the devil, falsehood and ridicule are used consistently against Jesus throughout his entire public ministry. All he got was backflack. Of course, that's the, that's the career of the prophets, wasn't it? They spat on Jesus. They struck him, saying, prophesy. That's, that's, what, that's what prophets do. Prophets prophesy. And, but when they prophesy, there's no telling that, there's not, there's no telling that somebody's going to receive the prophecy onto their edification. They may think that that prophecy is actually, actually poisoning them or, or, or deconstructing them or doing them harm. But actually, the prophecy would edify if they could receive it, but they can't, edify, they can't receive it, so it doesn't edify. Of course it doesn't edify. Of course it doesn't edify. They're not receiving the prophecy. Prophesy, who struck you? One should expect then no change at the end of Jesus' ministry because this has been the, the status quo. This is the way it's gone for him all, all of his days. And hatred, as, he's, as he pronounced on the Sermon on the Mount, is murder. And that's exactly what we see here. The hatred of the people killing the Lord Jesus. My friends, if they treated the master with contempt, they'll treat you the same way. The only way they'll treat you with some regard is if you keep your mouth shut. If you try to correct somebody in extreme error, even if you're forbearing with them, there are people that hate prophecy. As Christ's follower, you need to understand and count the cost. Will you deny yourself? Will you, will you carry Jesus' cross? Will you drink of the cup of the fellowship of Jesus and all of him? Yes, Jesus benefits, yes. He did die for you. He forgives you your sin. 
And yes, he educates you. He gives you great, great teachings. But will you follow him into his sufferings, into, into bearing contempt before the world, and even in the church? You know, the saying, all things are yours. Richard Sibb says, yeah, all things are yours. Oh, all things are mine. That's great. Yes, all things are mine. You mean all things are mine? Yes. Yes, Christian, all things are yours, including sufferings, persecutions, mistreatments, bad reports, good reports, betrayal of friends, losing all things for the sake of the kingdom. All these things are yours as well. Will you drink of the cup? Count the cost. We're here to be deconstructed in the flesh and reconstructed in the spirit. That's the temple of God. There is no other temple. There is no other people going to heaven. Jesus had to undergo these sufferings. You, do, you believe this, but do you truly believe that you were called to suffer many similar things as a Christian? Or are you only here for the benefits? Sure, the atonement is great. But when we suffer, we, we do not atone for sins. That's the glory of Jesus' unique contribution as the Lamb of God, definite article, the scapegoat. He alone suffers vicariously and efficaciously. But the rest of us, by union in him, will necessarily suffer in this world. And by your baptism, you vowed to fight Satan, the world, and flesh. Conclusion of this preaching, long preaching, sorry. It's not too long, it's 45 minutes so far. Jesus patiently suffered slander. He forbore, he was, his forbearing was extraordinary to get the job done. He had to go to the cross that he might atone. He had to forbear. Jesus patiently suffered slander and ridicule and mocking at the hands of the high priest on people that should have known better, but they were ignorant. In fulfillment is his role as, Jesus, as uh, the scapegoat, Israel's scapegoat, and really the scapegoat of the world. Jesus did this to atone for the sins of all his people, especially his religiously inclined leaders who had a form of godliness but denied the power, including the, the cruelty of blind, blind religious leaders playing in shadows and happy, happy, happy to defend the temple grounds and to get rid of God. This is the son. He's the heir of all things. If we kill him, we'll have the vineyard. Ah! These religious leaders could not yet see the glory of the true Messiah, who is also Israel's true scapegoat, suffering for the sin of the nation. My friends, too much is given, much is, is required. Did you think that we would get through this gospel of Matthew unscathed? Do you th did you think that Jesus was not winnowing his wheat on the threshing floor? Did you think that you would, would, would narrowly escape just because you say you have faith? The winnowing of the Spirit, the fire, the Pentecostal fire of his Spirit that consumes the dross of your flesh. Did you think that the preaching here would be light? Under the, under the constructs of the Gospel of Matthew, which is separating hypocrisy and all manner of blasphemy from the purest doctrine of Scripture. How did you think you were going to cut through this Gospel? Except that there be division in your heart first. And if you didn't repent, 
What a catastrophe in the church. The much is given, much will be received, much will be required. Leaders must judge justly for God's glory. Look, you, you are to be aware of every, any weakness in yourself, any instability, pockets of ignorance, unbelief, prejudice. You are to sit before the Lord and ask him to review your heart and repent of every known sin. By repentance, I mean turn from it, make repairs, seek reconciliation, and new obedience. Show zeal that you have repented. Show, show in the church that you really are a different man and on a different course after you've sinned. Confession of itself does nothing. Nothing. Anybody can confess. I was confessing for years as a, as a Catholic. I didn't know the Lord. I did not know the Lord. Unconverted sinners are blinder than bats. Unless God opens our eyes, we'll do violence to Jesus and to Jesus in one another. Are you converted? Are you born again? What is your response when you're crossed at home? Do you listen to your spouse? Do you listen to your parents? Are you all aflame at work? Somebody touches your agenda, are you ready to kill? In the church, somebody crosses you, didn't get your way. Oh, no, I have, I have to have my way. Kings, kings have to have their way. Kings, kings are in charge. They must have their way. Is yours a Christian response? Or are you responding to the prophet's warnings of Christ, of the cross? That's the gospel. That's the whole Christ. Both the scapegoat and that prophet that, that, call that calls you to, uh, to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Both needs to be preached. We're going to fail at perfection. When we do, we need to be temperate with one another. We need to be forbearing with one another, just as God is forbearing with us. But we must never let go of the perfection to which God calls us. We must hate ignorance. We must despise our blindness. We must despise, especially, our cowardice. And going to people when we've crossed them and reconciled truly and showing uh, the resurrection life in new obedience in the, in the church. If we don't do it in the church, and if we continue to abort that ministry of Christ in our lives, we'll never improve, never, ever improve. You are unrepentant. You are unimproved. Lord, spare us from that misery. Lord, have mercy on us, especially as leaders. Let's pray. Lord God, you are amazing to us in Christ in this passage. We can scarcely believe such a narrative, such irony. Such, such biting, biting irony. But we praise you that Christ is such a brilliant, brilliant star, your, your beloved son, who even takes up our sins, our high sins of high office, done in ignorance. 
and atones. And so, Lord, we have redemption. So, Lord, we have salvation. So, Lord, we, we rejoice in Christ as our all in all, and not in shadows, and not in pictures, and not in ceremony, and not in theater, but in Christ, and in his word, and by his spirit. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. Help us to know you truly, and stand before your presence in awe for all that you have done in your church, despite ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's have an offering, please.